I'm Thomas. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, it is wonderful uh, to be here and uh, to be back together. <sighs> Here's what we have to hear today. You are about to embark on, upon the great crusade upon which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. Those were the words of General Dwight D. Eisenhower on June 6th of 1944. And if that date sounds familiar, it's because that was D-Day. Those were the words that Dwight Eisenhower spoke to his troops to prepare them for the invasion of Normandy. He had to summon the words that would fill them with courage and bravery to endure the next battle and and to keep fighting. It was going to be dangerous. Uh, Of course, it was going to be fraught and deadly, but uh, it would be victorious. And he wanted them to hear that. The eyes of the world are upon you. Now, uh, 1,900 years before General Eisenhower's speech, uh, another great leader needed to summon the courage uh, and lend words to prepare his people for another kind of battle, a long-term battle, a battle that was coming. What words would God give to his people on the precipice of their next great challenge? How How would God himself put steel in the spine of his people, hope in their hearts and endurance for their feet, to endure what was to come. Well, that's what we're going to learn today uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, 1. As, as Wade mentioned, we're beginning a series today through the book of 1 Corinthians. And let me tell you, uh, we're going to take our time. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians all the way through the holidays. We'll take a little break and then we'll go even on and beyond Easter. Um, There's a long book, 16 chapters. But what I want you to hear from us is that we are going to marinate in 1 Corinthians. We are not microwaving. We are marinating. We're going to sit in it. It's going to be our hot tub. We're going to soak, okay? Uh, and the reason is this. As a church, you, you may know, we've entered sort of somewhat uncharted territory, uncharted waters, but we're confident that God can and will guide us. And in fact, the principal way that God guides us is through his word. That's why every week we get together and we hear from God's word. We try to proclaim it. I try to get completely out of the way so you can hear exactly what God is speaking to you. And in fact, uh, we think uh, 1 Corinthians will be somewhat like, I don't know if you've ever done a study like this, but a case study. Maybe in school you've done a number of these. A case study is where you look at a problem and the way that it was solved, and through observing that, you get to learn how to apply that to your future, you know, use of that knowledge. Um, Often you think of in medicine, okay, this person presented with these problems, and here's how we're going to fix it. Um, the book of 1 Corinthians, is many, in many ways, is like that. Um, we are going to see so many ways that the Corinthian church was really messing things up. Lots of problems, and yet, God was not giving up on them. God promised to be with them. God promised to come into their situation and lead them to health. That's going to be a big word for us throughout this series, is leading the church to health. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at how the good physician comes into an unhealthy situation in Corinth and how does he apply the word of God? How does he apply the gospel to their situation so as to bring them to a place of health? Now today we're not going to be focusing so much on the issues that that were present there, but we're going to be focusing, like I said, on the way that the Apostle Paul, and of course we mean the way that the very voice of God would come and encourage these people as they begin their journey as they take the first few steps into battle. So I'll read for you in 1 Corinthians. If you want to flip in your Bible or open your app, however you do that. 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. And it says this. I, Paul, 
called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for the book of 1 Corinthians. Thank you for a kind and loving hand upon your church. Teach us today from your word. Teach us that you love us. Show us your heart. Show us how we might grow. And like the Corinthians needed to hear all those years ago, put steel in our spines, courage in our steps as we walk down this road together. Thank you for your word. Make us the people that it is trying to make us today. We pray. Amen. So this passage is going to introduce us to two core realities that the church must embrace and that must be at the heart of what we're doing as a movement, especially over this next year, through the book of 1 Corinthians, to prepare us for for what God is making us. And those two things are this. First of all, the church belongs to God. The church belongs to God. And secondly, the church is beloved by God two things to learn today. A church belongs to God. That's the first thing that we see. And if I'm honest, belonging to God is sort of, it's the best way that I could come up with to sort of get our arms around two enormous realities that are present uh, and, and really what this passage is saying. One big thing that this passage is saying, trying to get my arms around that, belongs to God. That is, the church exists from God, for God. Simply put, the church is all about God. So let's just spend the next few minutes looking at what God is saying in Corinth so we can learn too. You know, probably the most striking feature about this passage, and if you, even just on a preemptory sort of reading, is the number of times that the Apostle Paul uses the word God or Jesus Christ or Lord or some pronoun that refers to the same thing. In fact, I counted it up for you, so you don't have to. 18 times in nine verses. That's twice per verse if you're good at math. Yeah. It's, it's just so prevalent. It's so in your face. And uh, without going too much into what was going on in Corinth, you have to know this. For a church that was sort of obsessed with their own self-importance and their significance and their cultural location, uh, a people who believe that your name means everything, your reputation is, is vital, your, your status, your honor uh, means everything. You, you even notice in, in, in this... Um, in the second verse, to the church of God that is in Corinth. Do you sort of hear that phrase? To the church of God that just so happens to be in Corinth. It, this is, it's so clear that this, even Paul's phrase there, exudes this one message. I love you, but you are not the point. 
You're not the point of this letter. You're not, you're not the point of your church. God is the point. You know, I, I worry that over the next year or so, you know, we've just finished this congregational survey and we're sort of trying to gather data about how are we doing as a church and, and how do we move forward. I, I worry that we'll spend so much time wondering, you know, how do we get this kind of people, my, you know, my neighbors to be interested in Parkview and the, those sorts of questions that we won't slow down and ask a much more important question. Does God want to come? Is God happy to be here? We'll, we'll sort of spend so much time asking, you know, Sunday mornings, is this for the unbeliever, for the believer? Is it? And we'll forget that uh, it's not, it's for God. And here's how Paul really drives that point home in this passage. You see that, that explicit language is even more specific. He says, God is the one who called you. See that in verse 1, he, he says, Paul, an apostle called by the will of God. And then he applies that exact same language to the Corinthians. He says, called to be saints. And then in verse 9, called into the fellowship of his son, if you look down and see it. First, first thing this means, and we already sang about it this morning, so it won't be a surprise to you, is that God himself has called our church into being. Now, we can look back in the history of Parkview and sort of see how we came, you know, almost 100 years ago and, and the people that founded this church, so to speak, and, and grew it and how it changed and just transformed even over the last 20 years or so and all the things that have happened and the people that we could name that have done it. But this passage wants to, us to be very clear. God called our church out of nothingness into existence. We look back in Genesis 1 and 2 and we see how God says, let there be light, and there was light. And he says, why don't we have some birds? And what about a tree? I think a tree would be great. And he creates out of nothing the world that we live in. And he uses the same language to speak of us. Once we, no matter who you are, we were unplugged from the power of God, searching and seeking for satisfaction and purpose and not finding it. The Bible calls us the walking dead. Once we were not a people. Once we were not even here. And now God has made us a people. And I have to be honest, as a pastor, as I sit here in the front and I sort of preparing and I'm singing with you guys, sometimes I just sort of, I just stop singing and I just listen. I just, I think, I shouldn't be here. But God woke me up. He woke me up out of, my, out of my sin, out of my stupor, out of my self-righteousness and all of my attempts to sort of be enough without him. And that's why I'm here singing. Otherwise, I don't know where I'd be today. And I think, I know some of you, I know your stories, and I just think, there should be no beautiful music coming out of anyone's mouth today in praise of Jesus, except for, he called our church out of nothingness into existence. God has made us a people. Try that sometime. Just, just listen. Enjoy what is happening here. But we're not just called to exist. There's more. We're actually called for a purpose, and we see that in verse 2 as well. To the church of God that is in Corinth, those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. Saints. Wow. Not a word we probably use very much. It's, it's translating a phrase that's simply holy ones. Called to be holy ones. The church belongs to God. The church exists by God, which we just mentioned. It also exists for God. What does it mean to exist for God? It means to be a holy people, a set-apart people, a people devoted to God. 
Now, the last 10 weeks, we've been in a series on what we call sanctification, growing in our likeness to Jesus, that, that day by day, we progressively look more and more like Christ in obedience to him, in love to him, in every aspect of our character, not just on Sunday mornings. That's not what it means to be a holy people. It, it includes that, of course, but, but every day, in everything, at work and at play, at rest, in thought, in affection, in deed, in word, to be devoted to God. That's what it means for us as Parkview to be a holy people and to belong to God. It means, will you imagine with me? It means that we have sort of an unnatural preoccupation with pleasing God. We find ourselves wondering, as individuals and as a church, what, what might God like us to do today? What might make him smile if he sort of saw me doing it right now? Uh, our son, uh, Jack, he just turned two. Hi, Jack. He's watching out there. Um, and uh, he has started talking. He started doing so many things that I, I just have to be honest. I know he's not the cutest kid in the world, but he is the cutest kid in the world. And I just, everything he does, sort of at the end of the day, we're sort of winding down, me and my wife, and inevitably we just start sort of talking over the little highlights of the day. All the ways that he just makes us smile with just sort of everything he does just seems to put a smile on our face. The, the latest thing was he, you know, scraped his knee and we gave him a band-aid, but for him it's not a band-aid, it's a bandane. Now, you didn't laugh at that. <laughs> But I'll tell you what, it, we get a huge kick out of it. It makes us smile all the time, and I'm sure for the rest of our family's life, we will be calling them band-aids. Um, but I, I, I sort of sat back, and I just thought, you know, if that little of a thing, you know, can just make, bring so much joy to me as a father, as I look at him, and I sort of wonder, what if he knew that? What if he knew how, how just, even just the way that he acts, the words that he uses brought that kind of joy to me, and he thought to himself, I like making dad smile. I'm going to do it all the time. That is something like what we are like and meant to be like as a church. We have felt the warmth of God's smile and we want more. We want to do everything that pleases him. We want to be, uh, we've thought through, what, it, what does it mean to be a holy teacher? What does it mean to be a, a holy contractor, a holy doctor, a holy spouse, a holy caregiver? Uh, you've asked your Christian friends and, and they want to help you figure it out and you want to help them figure it out. Uh, there is just fresh daily joys for those who love holiness. Every minute presents us with new opportunities uh, to feel the warmth of God's smile on us. Not because we have to, because we want to, because we get to. When you walk into a holy church, you'll be surprised at what you don't see. You'll be surprised that you don't see the, the smug, self-satisfied religious facade that you might expect. Sort of people who feel good about themselves and they know it. You don't see that. People who are humbled by the mercy of Jesus uh, love others with holy love. They're interested in you. You walk away and you feel important. You feel kind of like, I didn't think I was an interesting person, but apparently I am. These people... Uh, they seem to find the best in me and celebrate it. Uh, they're so in touch with your creator that they can't let even one good ounce of the good work that he's done slip their notice. God is building that kind of church here. A church that's compelling and attractive that makes people wonder, what's their secret? Is there a hidden agenda here? Where's the clickiness? 
Where's the, where's the smugness? Where is it? I, I'll find it. I can't find it. There's something. There's someone here. It will make them wonder. Parkview, God is building that kind of church here. Will we let him? Will we join him? Parkview, God is doing that because we belong to him. That secret that people can't quite put their finger on, that that hidden, what is it, that, that, that who knows how you can say it, it's him because we belong to him. The second thing that we learn about the church here in 1 Corinthians 1 is first, of course, we learn that the church belongs to God, but second, we learn that the church is beloved by God. Now, to see this point, I think it helps to have a little bit of a background on, on the church in Corinth. Now, by all accounts, the church in Corinth, I'm going to read ahead for you a little bit, is uh, the worst church in the New Testament. And we're, whether we're speaking sort of in terms of spiritual maturity, in terms of morality, in terms of sort of the integrity of their community, it was none of the things that I just mentioned that we aspire to as a church. In so many ways, Corinth was failing. Uh, next week, we're going to read, uh, as, as Paul addresses the fact that, that in Corinth, the church was dividing th- themselves into competing cliques based on which leader they thought was the best. In ver- chapter 1, verse 12, they say, Each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Now those, I always think those are kind of the worst people, don't you? Oh, you follow Paul? I follow Christ. Ah, okay. Well, they were dividing like that. In chapter 3, Paul says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, as babies. Now, I've got nothing against babies. Spiritual babies is a problem. He says, I fed you with milk, not solid food, because you weren't ready for it. In chapter 5, Paul says, you know, it's actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you and a kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you're arrogant. This church is making the pagans blush. In chapter 6, Paul addresses the fact that the Corinthians have developed a nasty habit of suing each other. Folks, that's not half the letter. Are you getting the picture? It's an unhealthy church. It's, It's... a troubled church. It's a church in need of renewal. It's a church in need of change. And when you read those, just those first six chapters, and then you come back to these first nine verses, I hope your jaw hits the floor. Let me remind you what it says. To the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. We just spent 10 weeks learning what that means. And Paul's applying it to this kind of church called to be saints, saints, together with those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you. You are not lacking in any gift. God will sustain you to the end. Guiltless, guiltless. Did you hear that? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his son. Now, it's one thing to notice the content of that, that Paul would call the worst church in the New Testament saints, guiltless, sanctified in Christ Jesus, called and beloved by God. But it's another thing just to note his tone. The tone that Paul conveys is the tone of God for these people. You know what you expect? When you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, you expect the first nine verses to be, get ready. I'm going nuclear. You are in trouble. I'm going to give you a spanking. But what do you hear? He's not scolding. He's not shaming. He's not sticking their noses in it. 
What's he doing? What, what, does, what does I give thanks to my God always for you have to do with some of those stories that you just heard from the first six chapters? Church, it has everything to do with it. Ray Ortland said, we don't ruin God's plan. We are God's plan. That was good news for the Corinthians, and it's good news for us today. God is making and enacting an eternal plan to love the undeserving for the glory of his Son. And we, you, you, are exhibit A. Paul knew firsthand that when God looked at the Corinthian church and their mess, he didn't see their sin, he saw his son. He saw people that he was committed to, a a people that belonged to him, to bring them to health and renewal and growth and change. He would not give up on them. They belong to him. They're his beloved. Dane Ortland says, What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not how severe the sin is, but whether the sinner comes to him. Jesus can no, can no more bring himself to stiff-arm you than a father can stiff-arm his dear child, his crying newborn. Parkview, if there's hope for the Corinthian church 2,000 years ago, then there is abundant hope for us today. God has not, he is far from given up on us. He is near to us now. He is with us. He is eager to see how he will respond. And, and there's a reason that Paul begins this letter, this difficult letter, on such a high note. Uh, the note of God's love and kindness toward them in Christ is because it is the fuel that will lead the Corinthian church through the next chapter. And the next chapter, and the next chapter, as they gather, just as we are today, in a group smaller than this, by the way, the Corinthian church, to listen to Paul's letter from their beloved apostle. He knew that they would need, just like uh, so many years later when General uh, Eisenhower would say, the eyes of the world are upon you. He thought that will motivate them to know everyone in the world is looking to you to see, will the world be saved or will we go into calamity? Paul tells them something better. The eyes of God are upon you. Maybe you're here and you're thinking, well, the eyes of God are upon me, but I think he's a bit annoyed. The eyes of God are upon me, but he's sick of me. The eyes of God are upon me, but I kind of wish they weren't. Parkview, if we will become the church that God has called us to be, the church of God that is in Iowa City, that our neighbor is watching to see if we will be, if, that our city is waiting to see if the gospel could actually be true, they're looking at us, it's fair, then we must make the never-ending mercy of God through Christ the bedrock of our souls. It is the only thing that will bring our story to a happy ending. Because when God looks on us, like he looked on that Corinthian church and their mess, he does not see our sin. He sees his son, and he is utterly committed to us. He is utterly devoted to us. And when he looks at us, he sees a true beauty, and he's not exaggerating. So if you're here burdened by guilt, knowing you haven't measured up to God's expectations, do you know what God says to you? Come to me. 
If you're here buried in shame because of someone else's sin, because of the ways that you've been hurt, do you know what Jesus says to you? Come to me. He's eager to take our guilt. He's eager to bear our shame. He has already done it. Parkview, together, let's come to him. What happens will be determined by this. Will we come to him? For mercy, because we know we haven't done what's, what's been expected of us. For power, to be the people that he's calling us to be. And somehow, for hope. For abundant hope to become all that God sees in us today. That is what this passage calls us to. We are belonging to God. That is what kind of people we are. And we are beloved by the Father. Put these two together. Put them into your heart and let them power you over this series as we are compelled to grow in health, in obedience to Christ, in love for him as we bask in the new mercies of our Father. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this kind and gracious word. We thank you that you are near to us, that you are with us. Lord, that you look at us and you see a true beauty. You see a church that you're committed to, that you're present in and with, that you're excited about. Lord, and most of all, that you have connected yourself to through Jesus. Thank you for his life. Thank you for his example. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his wisdom. Thank you most of all for his love toward us. Where would we be without, without Christ's love? We pray that these, these next weeks, through these 16 chapters, that you would continue to encourage us, that you would continue to put steel in our spine and endurance in our steps as we commit ourselves to what you have called us to. We know that you never call us to something that you cannot accomplish. You never leave us. You never forsake us. And you tell us, come to me. Lord, let us as a church and as individuals come to you for everything that we need and that we will need. We pray all this in your son's precious name and for his glory. Amen.